One example of what I'm talking about is this idea that that Third John is the entire letter is a letter of recommendation for Demetrius. I haven't met every one of you, so I'll introduce myself. I'm Ryan McCann. I've come from San Antonio. I'm a member of Grace Community Church, San Antonio, Texas. It's good to be with you all. The church down there welcomes y'all. We, I want y'all to know we think of y'all often, remembering you in our prayers. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 3 John. Third John, it's toward the end of the Bible. It's the third to last book. A little bit ago, Ray had us read 1 John chapter 3, and I feel in many ways that's the perfect lead-up to this sermon. It flows right into it. So if you can keep 1 John 3 in your mind. The main verse I want to focus on is verse 11. But I think it might be a good idea just to read the whole letter to get the context. So 3 John, verse 1, reads, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you, and greet the friends, each by name. Amen. Well, Father... We thank you for your word, that we have your word, Lord, and I I pray that you would make it effectual in our hearts, that you would apply it to our hearts today. God, I ask that you would help me to speak your truths, keep me from uh, teaching anything that would be an error, keep me from teaching my own opinion. Lord, I ask that you would meet with us this hour and glorify your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, one of the things I like to do in preparing for a sermon like this is to read a couple commentaries. Right? I want to be sure that 
what I'm seeing in this text isn't something novel, some new interpretation. I would be a little concerned if that was the case. I would be a lot concerned. <laughs> and so I, I, I read what a couple commentators had to say. And it, it no doubt was very beneficial to my soul. They had some good insight. But one thing I noticed is there's a lot of assumptions that commentators just make sometimes. Uh, just theories that they put forth. And it can't be proved from the text. And I'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about. One example of what I'm talking about is this idea that that Third John is, the entire letter is a letter of recommendation for Demetrius. And Demetrius is the carrier of the letter. And he's showing up to a church saying, here's my letter of recommendation. That's an assumption, right? Another assumption that sometimes commentators make is verse 9, I've written something to the church, and that is therefore referring to perhaps 2 John or 1 John. Now, that could be, that could be. But how do we prove that from the text? And another assumption that sometimes we make, that I used to make sometimes, is that Diotrephes here is an elder in the church, that he's an abusive pastor. Well, these are all theories that can't be proven or disproven, so they don't really help us in any way. Um, Third John, I mean, it's a, we're, we're bound to believe what's taught in this book. And only what that book has to say, we can know. Um, so I want to teach what we can know from this book. And the first thing that we notice when we look at the letter of Third John, the first thing I notice, and probably you too, is that it's a very short book of the Bible. Right? In fact, it's the shortest book in the entire Bible by words. And that's interesting. It's not as though John was running out of things to say. In fact, he explicitly says at the end of our text in verse 13, I had much to write to you. There was much he wanted to say to Gaius, but that he would rather not write with pen and ink, but see him face to face. And uh, you know, there's, there's a, a biblical example of wisdom in that. There are certain circumstances where it's better to have a face-to-face -face conversation. And uh, if you've tried to communicate in a serious way uh, via text or email, maybe you can attest to that, right? I don't know if you've ever been tempted to think the, in this way. I know I have. Is I almost wish, come on, John, why didn't you write more so I could read it for the future? But I think it's helpful to remember that the Holy Spirit who inspired John to write what he wrote included all the necessary details for us here. That this, this letter of John is not lacking anything. And I don't know about you also. When, when a man is a man of few words, it's as if the words he does say, it's like you want to pay extra attention to him. And that's, that's John here. And I also feel that this is an often neglected book of the Bible. You don't hear many sermons from 3rd John. So for those reasons, I thought it would be good, beneficial to consider this letter today. So I won't be going verse by verse through the whole book. Um, but 3rd John is laid out in the, the standard format of any epistle. It's got a greeting. It's got a body. It's got final greetings. But I think it's helpful to think of it as almost as in two halves of a whole, two sections. The first section would be verses uh, 1 through 8. And in, you, in that section you see uh, John's commendation of Gaius. 
and it lays out for us the context of the whole letter, the occasion for him writing what he's writing. And then the second half is verses 9 through 15, and that's John's main instruction to Gaius, his exhortation. So, John is writing to Gaius. He is commending him for the love and hospitality he showed towards some Christian missionaries while they were on their journey. These missionaries uh, hold on, are referred to as the brothers uh, in verse 3, and also in verse 5, these brothers. And we can conclude that they're uh, missionaries because it says they're going forth on a journey and that the reason they're going forth is for the sake of the name. And that's undoubtedly a reference to the name of Christ, the name above every name. So they're going forth for the sake of Jesus Christ to, to bring his uh, fame, his renown, to a place where it's not yet acknowledged. So is that not what a missionary is? So we can call these missionaries. And on this journey, they decided to to take nothing from the Gentiles. That's shorthand for the non-believers. They didn't accept any uh, support from unbelievers in doing this. They, they didn't want any opportunity for people to look at what they were doing and say, oh, they're just taking advantage of people or, or they're in this for some sort of material gain, some benefit, or he just wa- they just want my money, right? So they, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. And in doing that, they, they decidedly lived by faith that God would provide for all their means. And, and brethren, there are means are necessary in missions. Uh, there's funds and resources that go into it. And so these men were relying on God to provide for them, and more specifically, God's people, the church. And Gaius evidently answers that call. Verse 5 John says to Gaius, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are to you. So we don't know what all those specific efforts are. Perhaps Gaius just housed them for a night, gave them a place to stay, gave them a hot meal, a, co- a cup of cold water, um, a word of encouragement. Perhaps it was a, a financial component with that. We don't know. <clears throat> And now these missionaries apparently make their way back to John and they testify to John about Gaius' love and faithfulness and his hospitality. And John is overjoyed to hear about Gaius' walk with the Lord, that his child is walking in the light, in the truth. And so John is writing him. He takes up his pen and he starts commending Gaius, letting him know that it was a good and a right thing to do what he did. Right. In verse 8, he says, Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. In other words, here's an encouragement to you, Gaius. Right? When you took those men in, when you supported them the way you did, when you helped send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, right, what you were actually doing was you were becoming a fellow worker with them. Right? When they went forth on that mission field, you were with them. Their success on the mission field is your success. That's an encouragement. You know, when, when, 
when you did that, you became a fellow worker with them for the gospel. So I think there's a lesson for us in that, right? Not everyone's called to the mission field, obviously, right? Majority of people are not. But to stay right where you are in the station that God has you, that's no small task. That's no second-class citizen type of spiritual life. That's a high calling. And, and if, if we believed that right, as individuals, how, how would that affect the way we view ordinary life? How would that affect the way we work a nine-to-five job? How would that affect the, the way we raise our families and, and give to the church and support missions? Doing those things is, is becoming a fellow worker for the truth. So that's the context of what's going on in 3 John in verses 1 through 8. It's laid out for us. But John doesn't stop there. He goes on. Uh, he wants to encourage him to press on. And this brings us to the second section, verses 9 through 15. And the main exhortation that I think sums up this whole uh, next section and perhaps the whole letter is verse 11. And he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. And in keeping in the context of this letter, he, he's specifically referring to two examples that he gives to him. One example of evil. His name is Diotrephes. And the other as an example of good, Demetrius. So John is saying, Gaius, in the negative sense, do not be like Diotrephes, but in the positive sense, do be like Demetrius. And I think a question that would be good for everyone to ask themselves is, which am I imitating? Am I imitating good? Or am I imitating evil? That's, the, that's an important question. And I know that there are certain people with overly sensitive consciences uh, who, who are prone to self-introspectionism, uh, and they need to get their eyes off of themselves and on Christ. But to fall into the other error and never do some self-examination would be a great disservice to us. I think it's a fair question. Am I imitating good or am I imitating evil? But before you answer that in your mind, I think there's two preliminary questions we need to ask and, and, and face. And the first one's this. Why is it even important as to what I'm imitating? Like, why does it matter? And then once we settle the importance of that, the second question we need to ask ourselves is, what is it exactly in this context that Diotrephes is doing that is considered evil? Like, how would I even know if I am imitating Diotrephes? You know, because I don't want to imitate evil, and I'm sure you don't either. So those are the two questions we need to deal with before you answer that main question. And the answer to the first question is, why does this matter? Well, it says it in our text. Verse 11, he goes on, Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. In other words, what you are imitating, the overall course of your life, the overall direction, your walk, it, it reveals something about who we are on the inside. Uh, you know, there's a form of Christianity in America 
that kind of says it, it, it doesn't really matter what your walk looks like. You, you can be a professing Christian, you made a one-time profession, and therefore it doesn't really matter if your life is full of evil. You're a Christian. But is that what John says here? Uh, no, he says, he who does evil has not seen God. They're spiritually blind. So if someone were to examine their lives and all they see is evil, uh, I'm not talking about perfection here, but a pattern of life characterized as evil, it's because they are evil. They have not seen God. They're spiritually blind still. In other words, the, the, the walk, the fruit our lives produces, that's, that's the evidence of the genuineness of our faith of your profession of faith. So that's why it's an important thing as to what I'm imitating. Okay, so that's why it's important, but let's turn to the second question. How would I know if I'm imitating Diotrephes? What is he doing? Well, Diotrephes is doing several things that are considered evil. Some of the things he's doing is John writes that Diotrephes apparently suppressed something John has written to the church. He did this because he does not acknowledge the apostles' authority. Uh, you know, the Bible speaks of, uh, of men, I think it's like Jude, verse 8, talks about people who despise authority. And so, along with uh, his authority is the apostolic doctrine, the, the, the teachings of the apostles. So he's, he's not receiving anything the, the apostles are saying or, or anything. And so John, because of this, he says that if he's able to come, he plans on bringing up what he's doing. He's going to call him out for uh, his wickedness. And I think the sense we get from it is he's going to do this publicly. All right? I mean, if, if Diotrephes is if his sin was a private matter, then perhaps John would have just overlooked it or, or dealt with it privately one-on-one. But because what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense about John and the apostles' authority, this poses a, an extreme danger for the church. And so the loving thing for John to do is to uh, deal with this sin publicly. Um, so that's the first evil thing that Diotrephes is doing. Uh, he's railing against the authority of the apostles. And the second thing he's doing is he refuses to welcome the brothers that we read about, the missionaries. Uh, he refuses to welcome them. And not only that, but he stops others in the church from receiving them. Uh, sorry. Could you imagine a man like that in our church today? Uh, Let's say a reputable Christian brother with a good testimony uh, walks in, and he's a missionary. He walks in these doors, and someone here stands up and says to everyone, no one welcome him. He's not welcome here. All right? That's what Diotrephes is doing. And like, how, how uh, far gone and cold-hearted do you have to be to, to get to that point? Um, now, in the end of verse 10, it says an interesting statement. He puts them out of the church. So this, there's some debate as to what uh, this is saying. Uh, that word them right there. He puts them out of the church. The question is, who is he putting out of the church? Uh, does that word them refer 
to members who are in the church who are receiving these brothers, um, and he's excommunicating them? Or is the word them referring back to the brothers themselves, the missionaries? Uh, they're coming along, and he not only receives them, but he puts them out. Um, I lean towards the second interpretation, that he's putting the missionaries out of the church. One reason I, I adopt that interpretation is because Gaius himself received these brothers, and there's no indication to us that Gaius was ever excommunicated. But either way, it doesn't really change much. Uh, the fact is, Diotrephes is acting like a, a, a wicked man. And if someone was like that here in our midst, we would all be asking the same question, like, what's this guy's deal? Why is he acting this way? All right. Well, the whole reason for Diotrephes' evil is summed up in this keen description that John gives us of him. He says, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. That's it right there. He likes to put himself first. I, I like the NKJV. That's the translation I usually read from, and it reads like this. He loves to have the preeminence among them. That's his evil. That's the reason he's acting the way he is. It's why he can't submit to authority. Uh, it poses uh, a risk to his, uh, uh, how he wants to be viewed. So the real question is not, are, are you putting people out of the church, or are you refusing to welcome the brethren, or are you railing against apostles' authority? The real question is, do you do the things that you do for the recognition of others, for the praise of men, that you might have preeminence? That's the real question. That's why Diotrephes is doing what he's doing. That, and I think that is the evil that John is referring to. Do not imitate that. We know those who are puffed up with pride fall into the same condemnation as the devil. That's uh, 1 Timothy. Um, a group this makes me think about is the Jews in John chapter 5. Uh, Jesus says to them an interesting verse. He says, How can you believe when you receive praise from men? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. That was a stumbling block, their pride. They received glory from men. Does anyone else in the, the scriptures remind you of this man, Diotrephes? You can answer that if you want. Someone my mind goes to is in Acts chapter 8. Do you remember Philip going to Samaria? And uh, he, he met a man named Simon we usually call him Simon the Sorcerer. But I'm going to read you about Simon. Acts chapter 8, verse 9, it says this about him. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the, good name, uh, the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. But not long after that, the apostles come into town. Peter comes, and Simon sees that 
when the apostles lay their hands on people, they receive the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He offers the apostles money, saying, give me this power too. He, he, he missed the way people used to view him. Right. They used to look at him as somebody great. He missed walking by and then people saying, there goes someone really spiritual. Right. And what does Peter say to him? May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Those are some heavy words from Peter. But he says, I see your heart is not right before God. You're in the gall of bitterness. The bitterness was the way people viewed the apostles now as opposed to the way they used to view him. He wanted to be looked at as somebody great. Another person this makes me think of is uh, Herod in the book of Acts. One day he gave a really good speech, and he was a good public speaker apparently. People were crying out saying, this is the voice of a God and not a man. And it says that God struck him dead that day because he received glory from men. He didn't give glory to God. When we realize this is Diotrephes' main evil, it's a very challenging uh, realization to us. Um, you know, even one of the great dangers and temptations in preaching and doing exactly this is that desire for people to look at you and say, well, there's someone really spiritual and, and not give the glory to God. Yes, the, the living your life for the praise of man, right? That's a, that's a terrible way to live. It's a terrible sin and it's a snare to many people. And that was Diotrephes. But John also gives uh, Gaius a positive example. Uh, he says, but Demetrius has a good testimony. Now, we don't, we don't hear much about Demetrius' life, but the fact that he's contrasted with uh, Diotrephes uh, tells us that he was probably a very humble man. He was the exact opposite. And though we're not given much details about Demetrius, as an example of uh, someone who's humble, uh, who do we have a lot of details on? Uh, who is opposite of Diotrephes? Is Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Is there anyone more um, diametrically opposed to Diotrephes and his lifestyle? You know, if Diotrephes loves to have the preeminence among them, here's Jesus, who actually is the preeminent one. He actually is the Lord of glory, and he has got all these riches, and yet he humbled himself by coming down, being found in the likeness of men, uh, incarnation. Um, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He, he emptied himself. Uh, and what is it, Second Corinthians 8, verse 9? It says, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus that, uh, hold on, I lost my place. That, uh, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's a, that's a very humbling thing to do. And the Bible tells us to follow Jesus. 
It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Um, so, brethren, my, my, my exhortation to us all is to let us not be like Diotrephes, right? Putting ourselves first, but, but rather let us imitate good. Um, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Um, so in conclusion, um, I would just reiterate to you verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Um, let us follow our Lord Jesus today. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for giving us your son and that he humbled himself so far to, to come and redeem sinners like us. Lord, I, I thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.